Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. Today's show is dedicated to World Refugee Day, observed on June 20th each year and celebrating the strength of the refugees who have had to leave their home countries to escape from persecution, conflict or violence. First observed in 2001, the event also highlights the struggles refugees face to build sympathy and understanding for their efforts to rebuild their lives, to rebuild their lives. And that's a quote from the United Nations UN Refugee Agency. And, yeah, it's definitely dedicated to World Refugee Day. And first up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition. And he's going to be speaking with us about some very recent atrocities that that have been happening in terms of the medevac refugees not being released and there is a hunger strike in progress at the moment, in particular at MITRE Detention Centre in Melbourne. And I'm not sure if it's in other states, and we'll be looking at that in a lot of detail very soon. So we'll be speaking with Ian about that. And also there's been an update. I believe some of the, refu- the Medivac um, refugees have been hospitalised. And we're going to be having a look at some of the background of that and doing an extended time with Ian, given that it is World Refugee Day. After that, we'll be speaking with Brett Collins from Justice Action and we'll be talking to him about the prison union in Australia and discussing deaths in custody in relation to a national database that's that's happening with that particular thing. And before we go on to Ian as well, I wanted to also thank once again all the listeners that have donated to the Do and Time show. We are now up to $545. Our target is $850. And I'll be reading those donations out in full at the end of the show. So coming up now, we'll be speaking with Ian. Hi, I'm Kutcher Edwards. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates in Victorian prisons. We started in 2002, and this year marks 20 years on the air. Be sure to tune in at 11am each morning from Monday July the 5th to Friday July the 9th 
for Beyond the Bars 2021 broadcast. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Thoughts within, visions I see. Daring to dream my destiny. And that's a beautiful, beautiful Kutcher Edwards there. Um, do try and support that Beyond the Bars event. And you're back with the Doing Time show, and we're going to be welcoming Ian now to the program. Hello, Ian. Yeah, hi, Marissa. It's lovely to have you. Now, 14 refugees brought from Manus and Nauru under the Medivac legislation in 2019 have begun a hunger strike um, in the Melbourne Immigration Transit Accommodation Detention Centre. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. The, um, yeah, the 14 of the guys, uh, they've been brought from uh, you know, Manus and Nauru. They've been now, you know, two years in detention uh, in Australia. They're going into their ninth year of detention overall. They've already done six years on Manus, uh, Papua New Guinea, you know, or, you know, or Nauru, um, and then July 19 will mark the, their ninth year of detention. So they're very, very tired uh, of the whole you know, situation. Um, half the people who were brought under the Medivac legislation have already been released between December and, and February, but... Um, you know, the rest of the guys, it's just over around, well, it's around 90 of them, uh, are still in detention, and uh, these 14 guys began the hunger strike last Thursday. It's it's a real atrocity, isn't it? And Yeah. Mm. Yeah, go on. No, I mean, the whole situation, uh, Marissa, like the fact that half of them are in and half of them are out have just, you know, compounded you know, their, you know, their dilemma and their anxiety. I mean, like, as usual, nothing's been said to them, why they haven't been released, whether they're never going to be released or what, you know, exactly why, you know, half people are out and half of people are still there. So around, around uh, 60 uh, guys actually wrote a letter, signed a letter to the new Home Affairs Minister, uh, in May, actually, uh, <clears throat> asking Karen Andrews to use her discretion to, you know, release you know, all the Medivac guys, but um, they've got they've got no answer from Karen Andrews, and the people, these 14 guys, feel well, they're symptomatic of everybody in Central detention. They've just run out of options. They think there's not, nothing more they can do to try and put their case as you know as forcefully as they can before the minister and border force, and you now before the Australian community, actually. So what's happening then is that the hunger strike is actually centred in Melbourne, isn't it? Yes, the 14 guys are all, are all in MITRE in Melbourne, yeah. But there are many refugees who are still being held in hotels and detention centres in Adelaide, Sydney and Brisbane as well, isn't it? That's Yeah, that's right. I mean, the hotel uh, is uh, in... In Melbourne, so it's the Park Hotel in Swanson Street. I'm pretty sure there's another another vigil being planned in there for early uh, early July, actually. Uh, so people haven't forgotten about. There's still 33 people in that you know, hotel, but yes, they've still got you've got another 30 odd people, close to 40 people are in the Brisbane detention centre, some in and then some in Sydney, some in Adelaide. 
So, okay, so two of the Medivac refugees who have been held in Melbourne, hotel detention, they've been there for two years, and I believe they're flying from Sydney to the US on today to be resettled, but there are 31 that remain in the Park Hotel in Melbourne. Is that right? That's yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So that there's some some of the people who are being held in detention are people who have either been accepted to go to the US or are part of, you know who who have indicated their interest in you know being resettled in the United States. But that that shift to the US is also extraordinarily slow. I mean, some people had been accepted to go to the US even before they came to Australia two years ago. So they're still two years on. And are only just now uh, being, you know, accepted to go to the US. So two people, you know, have <clears throat> have flown today to the United States. Two of the people who were in the Park Hotel, but um, as I said, other people are still waiting, waiting for interviews. We expect there'll be some more interviews this this coming week, actually. But it's a very small number of the 90 people who are still in detention who have got any hope of going to the US. The vast majority, uh, the the hope for them is to be released into the Australian community. And there's no reason why someone who's waiting to go to the US can't be waiting in the community rather than uh, you know the you know suffering the constraints and uh, everything else which goes with uh, detention. There's no reason why they can't all stay here. No, exactly. They should all be staying here. They came here in, you know, in 2013. Uh, half the people who came to Australia after July 19, 2013, are in the Australian community. The people who were sent to Manus and Nauru uh, were a, a smaller proportion of the people who came by boat. But nonetheless, they've been they've been the scapegoats. They've been the ones who've been, you know, the victims of Australia's offshore detention policy. And most concerning is the cruel and inhumane move by the the parliament or, or indeed the government to vote out the Medivac legislation soon after it was voted in. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I think the you know the Morrison government as it is now never really forgave uh, the fact that uh, they lost that vote in parliament. It was really a combination of you know the. Uh, the Greens, uh, Labor, and the uh, crossbenchers at the time, including Karen Phelps, was an independent, uh, you know, member. Uh, but at the time, they had the numbers. They carried the Medivac legislation, and in late uh, 2000, well, it didn't become law actually until the beginning of t 2019. Um, and then <coughs> it was only a matter by December 2019 it had been repealed following the. Uh, the election after Malcolm Turnbull resigned. People may not remember that. It was a very hectic period of time. But the Medivac legislation was really only law for about 10 months. And in that 10 months, 192 people were transferred for medical treatment or to be reunited with their family. I mean, the absurdity is, uh, in spite of the fact that that's what they were meant to happen when they came to Australia, we now know because of the... Well, we knew from the guys already, but, you know, the court cases have actually verified that. They're probably a majority of cases. They've not got medical treatment. Um, and we've still got uh, families that haven't haven't been reunited. Uh, so the 90 people, I, I think, you know, the 90 people have, they really, they really are, have been, have been discriminated against because of the Medivac legislation. People like Morrison and Dutton, like, simply haven't forgiven them uh, for the, because they were defeated on the, you know, on the floor of Parliament. And, um, you know, these guys are, you know, are paying the price, I think, of a very bloody-minded government policy. 
Indeed. And can you tell us what's happening with with the hunger strikers? What what's going on? I believe there have been. When did it, when did it start on Thursday? Yeah, last yeah last Thursday. So they're kind of going into their into their fourth day from the from the, this evening. And some of them have been hospitalised. Is that right? Yeah, two of the guys uh, this morning, very early, one thirty, uh, two ambulances came to uh, Mida. They took two of the guys, you know, to hospital. They've actually now been brought back. They were brought back early, the, early this afternoon. Um, brought back to Mida. They're continuing, you know, their hunger strikes. I'm, I'm, well, everyone's very concerned uh, because it does look like we're about to see, you know, a situation where people who are in not in good physical health anyway. Um, are finding their situation deteriorating very, very quickly. You know, on the you know on the hunger strike, people are people are drinking, but nonetheless, we've seen two people already in a situation where they've needed to be uh, to get you know hospital hospital treatment. Uh, no doubt, they've been you know rehydrated, stuck stuck on a drip for a few hours, and and have been sent back uh, to the detention centre. They're, they've they're still on hunger strike, uh, and uh, but I suspect we're, got, we're we're probably going to see a bit more of this over the over the coming days of uh, people collapsing or their blood sugar you know, getting to a, a dangerous point, uh, blood pressure perhaps declining, being hospitalised, rehydrated, brought back to the uh, detention centre. Uh, so they're still the 14 are still on hunger strike, and they're all you know back inside MITRE as we speak. Goodness me. Oh, uh, Ian, just I, I'm just going to interrupt the thread here and just um, inform listeners here that um, Brett Collins from Justice Action will be on at 4.30 today and not 20 past four, as planned. <laughs> Getting back to you, Ian. <laughs> uh, there's so much going on okay. on all levels, believe me. Um, yeah. So we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a pandemic and there's still coronavirus. But basically, we've got... Medirac refugees that are that are being imprisoned and detained going on hunger strike. How does yeah, that pan out? Yeah, look, I mean, it is. It's a. It's the things are complete uh, travesty. I know. And I know. You know, Broad Meadows is actually one of the, you know, the hotspots in you know the general you know Melbourne you know, conurbation, and uh, it's it's really a crime that uh, they've done nothing, that the government's done nothing uh, to get people out of, you know, to detention while there has been the threat of the threat of COVID now for, you know, what is it, 18, 18 months. I mean, people, they, they shouldn't, people shouldn't be in detention. They shouldn't be in detention because of COVID. They shouldn't be in detention in any case. Uh, you know, so people, the Medivac people in particular, they were brought here for medical treatment, um, you know, treatment which they haven't got. They're brought here be re- reunited with their family but it's absurd that the law could actually say yes you have to bring to Australia to be reunited but you don't actually have to be released uh, to you know to live with your family members like it's uh, it is just a you know a crime the whole thing I think and uh, well I think we're hoping you know that that you know what's happening now that you know the hunger strike publicity we can get around the hunger strike um, is going to put the case you know much more forcefully before you know the home affairs the home affairs minister we know that some of the um, you know, local councils down there have been very concerned about the use of the, you know, of the hotels to be keeping, you know, medevac refugees. I mean, there's there's no question of the degree of opposition uh, that there is to the government policy, at, you know, whether it's a local council level or you look at the, you know, the kind of um, statements that are coming from the, uh, you know, the, um, the, you know, the medical profession. 
Uh, so, uh, you know, we really do need to get to a point where we've got some, you know, critical mass to actually break through uh, this, this last bit of resistance from the, from the government. Of particular interest is the fact that I haven't seen anything on television stations or radio, other radio stations in regards to the hunger strike, have you? No, I, I haven't. I have done a couple of other interviews, and I know uh, I've tried to put um, you know, some of the radio stations and uh, television stations in touch with the guys inside. So hopefully, Good. you know, there will be a bit more on uh, you know, mainstream news. You know, perhaps perhaps tonight or the coming you know the coming days. I certainly know they've been trying to you know to call them anyway, and they're very concerned to get their to get their story uh, to get their story across. I mean they. Um, they just cannot understand, you know, like why they should still be in uh, in detention, and I don't, I don't think it is explicable because um, I might have mentioned, but you know, even even Peter Dutton was saying when in February when people were being released, uh, he was trying to use finances as an excuse, but he said yes, there was government policy for people to be progressively released. Detention of the Medivac guys was, you know, was too expensive, and effectively the government was releasing them as a, you know, as a cost-saving measure. Well, it's still costing, it's still costing money, it's still costing lives. Uh, so, you know, we do need Karen Andrews to act as quickly as she possibly can to, you know, get these guys released. Absolutely. And looking at World Refugee Day, and that was yesterday, and Ian, I'm wondering. You know, what's most interesting here and, and quite sad, really, is the fact that the Tamil family, in my view, is still being terrorised. And yet this year, the theme for World Refugees Day focuses on the power of inclusion to heal, learn and shine. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's always an irony in the uh, in the in the names that are given to Refugee Week. I'm afraid in uh, in Australia, because oh. there's always such a stark contrast between what you know the theme of Refugee Week is and the reality, um, you know, in Australia. But I think one of the one of the good things that we have seen in the run up to Refugee Day, Refugee Week, uh, has been, I think, the mass outpouring of support for the you know for the Tamil family. And I think the point. I'd like you know to make is I think if we can translate you know that support for the Tamil family to more generally the question of the medivac guys to the guys to all the guys uh, all the people who are still you know in detention that we've then we've seen the government the government can be you know can be shifted uh, the family the Tamil family is only halfway to freedom uh, but we've We've got them off Christmas Island. They're in Perth now. It's um, you know it's not so far perhaps to get them from there to Biloela. But I think a lot of people are very very angry in that respect. You know that they've given them community detention in Perth. Um, there's no reason at all that they can't be. No reason that they can't be living in Biloela. None. And it's all because they came by boat, and so they're not seen as refugees. And that's a most cruel and inhumane policy. Yeah, I think that everything about the family. I mean, there's a, the, the tip of the iceberg in that respect, and, and in, you know, I think have been started to be seen as a bit of symbolic of the way in which refugees more generally are, you know, are treated. Because whether it's the arrival by boat that you've mentioned, the, everything that follows after that, you know, the system is set up for them to fail. They're, they're you know, processed under a fast track 
proposal, which has had limited, you know, basis possibilities of, uh, you know, of appeal. We've seen the way in which, uh, even for the youngest one, uh, so the, the government, you know, um, one of the things that was part of the court case uh, that was an issue in the court case is that the government had lifted the bar to allow them to apply, but hadn't actually hadn't told the family that that, you know, had happened. And they, you know, the fact that it's just it's just a nonsense, you know, that people have had to go to court, that the families had to go to court uh, to try and get the right. For the uh, for the youngest one to actually you know make an asylum you know application and in all the circumstances they you know the minister could have signed that bit of paper to lift the bar to allow uh, the Sanika to to make the uh, that was copy actually I think to make the application um, and um, you know they could be living and working in you know in Billawila going to school in Billawila the support of the the Billawila community while their while their claims were being processed. So that's the way it should happen. People should be able to live and work, um, you know, be able to be part of the community um, while their, while their claims are being processed. There's no need for mandatory detention, no need for offshore detention, no no need for the kind of fast we've seen, the amount of money and the extent to which the government has gone to try and make an example of this um, this family. I think that's all you can say about it. They, they have tried to make an example of uh, someone who's come here to, of uh, a family that's come here to ask for asylum. Ian, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Are there any final comments that you'd like to make in terms of reaching out to the, the refugees on hunger strike or any other comments that you'd like to make? Yeah, no, we've done pretty well. Thanks, Marissa. I know uh, a lot of the guys do you know, kind of listen in, so as long as they know and other people listening that there is, the campaign is going to keep fighting to get uh, them out of out of detention and to you know end, end mandatory detention. There'll be issues that are coming going to come over, over Refugee Week. We take that opportunity to get that message out as much as we can into the Australian community, you know, to build support. Like we need to get rid of the kind of anti-refugee policies that the uh, the government has. Has, you know, has imposed, and um, so the bigger the community support we can do to build for that. So there's solidarity with the people who are in MITRE on hunger strike, solidarity with the people who are in in Melbourne, and uh, still I know they have protests every every day at the uh, at the Park Hotel. So we're going to keep fighting for people who are listening. Keep your eye out and keep your ears out for uh, the rallies that are coming up uh, over the you know over the next few over the next few weeks. Ian, thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Okay, thanks very much, Marissa. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel, and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR.
It's not too late to donate. It's not too late to donate. It's not too late to donate to 3CR Radiothon 94198377 or check our website 3cr.org.au. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. Welcome to Country is a very dangerous concept and initiative. I really don't know where Welcome to Country even merged from. I know that I don't think it was a, obviously an Aboriginal initiative. I think obviously governments had uh, introduced that as they were pacifying our flag of resistance. You know, the idealism that lies behind that obviously is so that white people can feel a sense that they're more guests and they've got a right of ownership and to be here. If we're going to continuously welcome them to country, what that does, it rectitudes the fact of the moral racism issues in which they perpetrate against our people because how can we be talking about all these other issues and then compromise a hypocrisy in our own selves to welcome these murderers and these uh, slave traders and this barbaric sense of what they've done to occupy Australia on one hand and, and welcome them on the other. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Online and nationwide, right across Australia from the 1st to the 31st of July and at Cinema Nova from the 21st to the 31st of July, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival's Documentary Month showcases the best local and international documentaries. Check out the incredible lineup at mdff.org.au, cinemanova.com.au and watch.eventive.org forward slash mdff and book your tickets and streams today. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. Strong spirit, First Nation issues, families, people, 
and stories from a First Nations perspective. Presented by Dari Manmoro. Starts Monday, June 21st at 1pm on 3CR. Proud black man, proud black man, you should not wonder. Independent and Peaceful Australian Network, IPAN, has launched a national people's inquiry into the costs and consequences of Australia's involvement in the US-led wars, the US alliance and its alternatives. The inquiry aims to promote a national conversation and is currently inviting submissions from organisations and individuals. The great majority of Australians have never been asked about this alliance, its implications and its limitations, which has led to an uncritical foreign policy. It's time this changed. To make a submission, go to independentpeacefulaustralia.com.au. That's independentpeacefulaustralia.com.au. Submissions close on the 31st of July. IPAN is a 3CR supporter. New International Bookshop's Big Red Book Fair is back and longer than ever. The sale starts 9am 21st of June and ends 7pm 25th of June. Flat rate of $3 books of all genres in the back room. Sale also includes $1 secondhand zines, journals, textbooks, penguin books and 10% off all new books. Get your radical literature cheap all this week. Visit nibs.org.au for details. A 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're going to be having a very special guest that we haven't seen for a really, or heard for a really long time. And it's Brett from Brett Collins from Justice Action. Hello, Brett. Welcome. Yes, good day, Marissa. <laughs> it's lovely to have you. Have you been all right? Yes, absolutely. No, no, we've got um, so much to, to to do that there's no way we can be sick or fade away. You know, we've, <laughs> we haven't stopped running. No. Absolutely. Now, Justice Action has been a, a very, very important resource in New South Wales, but not just New South Wales, but all over Australia for, you know, prisons and, and also um, people experiencing violations of human rights in, um, for mental health who are stuck in hospitals. Can you tell us what's been going on? I mean, I know you, you wanted to talk about the two topics, the first being the prison union and also the National Database and Deaths in Custody. Yes, OK. Marissa. Well, maybe I can start with the Australian Prisoners Union. That's a yeah. very significant issue. So um, uh, probably people haven't heard of a, a, an a international agreement called, called um, OPCAT, 
but it's actually it's uh, the Convention Against Torture, which most countries already adopt. That they uh, say they pay they pay lip service, talk about the um, the uh, obligation to not torture um, people to whom they hold um, in detention, mostly minority groups they hold in detention. Um, uh, when it comes to to actually inspecting places of detention, like prisons or or locked hospitals, psych hospitals, or um, for places where um, JJ um, kids are, um, nothing really happens so far as a proper inspection is concerned. So um, Australia was actually forced, right, forced um, um, through being shamed about what happened up in Dondale where um, a number of um, young Aboriginal kids had been tied into chairs and one particular one um, had been, uh, they, there was a lot of publicity about it, of course, the Royal Commission, and um, it was generally accepted that that, um, that the breach of human rights of the young boy uh, who was um, tied into a, into a chair, strapped into a chair, and also had a spit hood over his head, that he was actually had been tortured, and so, so they agreed that uh, it could not um, uh, be ignored, and that Australia had an obligation to sign the international protocols that required a um, an, an examination of places of detention. So that means every prison, every locked hospital, um, had to have then some form of monitoring, and each state and territory had then to create special legislation as to which was to uh, authenticate OPCAT. And so that's something in which we've been watching very closely and making sure that there's, there's a proper prisoner involvement instead of just people talking about prisoners, prisoners themselves being involved. Absolutely. And is that is not happening at the moment? Well, <laughs> the ridiculous thing in these things is that they all talk to each other. So everyone in authority just uh, talk about prisoners and about people who are in uh, in the psych hospitals, but they never actually ever talk to them. And so, you, so what's intended to be um, empowering and to open up the the uh, uh, prisoners to proper examination and allow prisoners <coughs> to speak and allow to, and like a real uh, honest discussions about what's happening. That doesn't happen. They just uh, they play uh, lip service and a lot of nonsense, um, uh, saying um, that uh, they are doing inspections and they aren't. So that's actually what was uncovered up at up at Dondale, and we're trying to make a difference here. So we've just um, been, we've in fact been peppering um, all um, uh, yep. the organisations around around OPCAT, so it's the uh, most important, the Commonwealth Ombudsman, but on each state and territory there are separate um, areas which called, are called the NPMs, and some yep. each state and territory has its own, and there's also um, an advisory group and a whole range of um, organisations there, and um, what we've spent some time doing is, is um, getting in behind the structure of the Australian Prisoners Union, which was set up in, back in 1999, and hadn't really um, had the chance to play its part. Um, and, yep. so, and so we've uh, got in behind that, given us a bit more base, and then um, and now starting to... Uh, well, we haven't quite done it yet, but we're, um, we're putting an argument together that uh, says that you know, all people in prison are entitled to have their own voice, and, and the Australian Prisoners Union should be that. And so we did a consultation, a national consultation with men and women um, who are ex-prisoners uh, to see whether they came to um, fundamental agreements about um, the acknowledgement of the prisoner community, that people in jail have their own community and they're entitled to have speak um, as, a, you know, as who they are um, and um, have support from outside as well. So that's really what we've been working on, a bit of a centrepiece um, around and the... Sorry, this, Brett, um, to interrupt agreement. you there, but... In, in yep. terms of that, what prisons would they be specifically? 
Well, uh, what prisons? I mean, look, we're talking about every prison. We're talking about every nationally. Every, you know, but that's every still a goal, time. isn't it? That, that still hasn't been... That hasn't happened yet? Well, you see, it's, it comes really down to the obligations of the authorities because, you see, the authorities that's right. themselves... Have an obligation, right? To, yes, absolutely. So it comes really mm-hmm. down to also our demands, and the demands are um, pushed push, um, quite strongly um, for the Australian Prisoners Union to have a voice, and it means every prison, every prison, every prisoner can feed into the Australian Prisoners Union, can make reports, and then we'll make sure those funnel in um, to the uh, to the Commonwealth Ombudsman um, through OPCAT, and they'll have a new structure there where they can't ignore the um, the voices of prisoners and others who are in detention. And so that is actually the role of justice action to do that, isn't it? To well, to put that demand in. Uh, yes, look, we've been working on this since, since 2009. So then in 2009, there was an initial uh, seminar where people came over from Geneva and, and it was, um, they needed a, a voice for detainees. And we took that position in 2009 and, and um, have been working on this uh, on two occasions after that um, in international seminars about you know, what OPCAT would mean. So at this stage, what we want to do is step back a bit and then throw, the, throw the, uh, the, um, every prisoner's role into the ring so everyone can feed into this and certain prisoners can, can have a voice that they currently haven't got. You know, that's that's really important. And in an ideal world, it would be great if that could happen now. But it's important that, that listeners do realise, isn't it, Brett, that it is from Geneva and that it is to fight torture as well, isn't it? Well, that's right. Look, we want to make we want to talk real because you see, um, you know, <laughs> we're an expedition or prison organisation. We actually aren't interested in, in just taking positions. We want to make sure that uh, that uh, there is an empowerment of people who are currently in prison. So that's really the, that's really the base from which we're working. So this is not just intended to be verbiage and and um, and apply in the sky stuff. This is intended to have reports coming in from from all prisons, from families, when they can make complaints and they can pass it into, for example, the. APU website. So it's an Australian yes. Prisoners Union website. Yeah, so it's still in mm-hmm. formation. It's been there for, there for a while, but it'll be, the, it'll be a base for people to report, and then we'll make sure that those uh, voices of prisoners and their families are being put through, and then we'll have all sorts of other structures as well, so people have a chance to get services from the Australian Prisoners Union and can can um, can uh, use some their leverage of you know having over fifty thousand people um, in in um, in detention at the moment. That that leverage can be properly used to make sure. Change Changes do happen. Absolutely, Brett. That's so. How can how can listeners assist with that campaign? Well, the Australian Prisoners Union website's already up. But I mean, if people want to write letters um, to us about it and, and express their not interested in, in being involved and being members and that sort of thing too, they could write it write to us if they write to us on at PO Box two double o one four, World Square. Uh, 2002, that's New South Wales 2002, so um, PO Box 20014, uh, World Square, right, New South Wales 2002, and we'll answer any letters coming in. Um, and also the website itself is actually already up and running, but it'll have a, an ability for people to write reports, send reports in as well, so families can send reports in as well. So within a few days, uh, you'll be able to receive um, receive people's complaints and things like that. At the moment, it's sitting up there, it has been sitting there for since 1999, when it was first launched to international acclaim, 
And so, so as the base itself is very firm, it's just that we're now trying to feed that into into um, the off-cut situation and for justice action to step back a bit and allow the Australian Prisoners Union to, to take its place and to have a voice that currently it doesn't exist. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about deaths in custody. Um, you were mentioning off air um, in regards... I just had a little bit of a coughing fit because I, I had a lot of chilli and hot pepper today, so... Okay, well, that sounds good, mate. Pretty crazy, pretty crazy this winter. But anyway, um, so going on with the deaths in custody, I believe you were mentioning a national database. Can you tell us what that means in practice and how can that help to build the movement to stop Aboriginal deaths in custody? Look, absolutely. Well, this is a very significant um, matter. Um, what happens, um, it really coalesced uh, around the uh, death of David Dungay that happens um, in the Long Bay uh, Prison Hospital. And um, we did uh, quite a lot of research in behind that and we pushed the uh, coroner to, to uh, do some good recommendations, including including the entitlement of prisoners um, to help other prisoners. For the, for there to be, there was a recommendation that there should be prisoners... Uh, Aboriginal health, um, sorry, Aboriginal delegates um, should be made available to someone who's distraught, and um, and instead of the above boys, you know, the immediate action team running in, six strong and led by a 120 kilo man, uh, that that have somebody who's a friend of the prisoner whom they intend to attack, that somebody goes in first and talks to the prisoner and gives, gives him or her a, a chance to then have, a, have an ally with them to interpret the situation to them to so make sure that um, uh, we don't have a situation like David Dungay's um, happen again where six, six men came running in with a shield and, and squashed them and killed him. So, so that was a really important recommendation. But there have been other recommendations similar to that that have happened elsewhere around Australia. And we discovered that, um, that um, what the, the death of David Dungay was actually very similar to what had happened up in Northern Territory in 2009 and also happened after that in Queensland in 2011. There were two people who were killed up there and the coroner in both situations had said that the way they had held the prisoner was wrong and it had caused the death. So, um, so those recommendations um, uh, should have been distributed to all other other areas, including including um, Long Bay Prison Hospital. And if that had been the case, um, it would have meant that David Dungo would never have been killed because he was held wrongly and um, and they caused his death. So, what what came out of that was um, the proposal that there should be a national database of all coroners' recommendations, and that every time a recommendation was made, that every similar area of responsibility. Um, whether it's police, or whether it's prisons, or whether it's psychiatric hospitals, wherever it, it is that somebody has the power um, to hold a, a prisoner down, that that's power... Oh, is, um, I see what you're saying, Brett. So you're, you're, you're mentioning the one of the recommendations that emerged from the inquest of David Dungay. Is that right? Yes, that's I the idea. I see what you're saying. I'm with yes. you. And be distributed everywhere. And be distributed instead of just to, to the local yes. justice health, it goes to every area which where the same powers are being used. So instead of learning a lesson eight times, you learn a lesson once. And then that, that recommendation then goes to all similar areas of responsibility. Yes. Right. Now, that was accepted, right? We put that proposal, and um, after, after the, um, the Dungay uh, inquest, it was accepted. Then the leading organisation who distributes law information, it's called OSLI, 
then said, could we actually pick up that that proposal and we would like to have that funded? We said, sure, go for it. And so, so we had 55,000 people came in on a petition to say it was a good thing to do. Major success. And so, it, so I see it's them... It's very important um, yeah, that, yeah, there yeah. Is, that there is that database to... Then there, there could be things could be preventable. Absolutely. Oh, there's no question about it about its benefit. And then Austin put the application into the federal government and received 1.2 million dollars as a like annual um, uh, uh, money that they have now received. That means they can employ people to to carry out the database. So we are in the process now of working out well what what is the requirement by, for example, police in say Western Australia to respond to a recommendation from, say, Victoria. So Victoria has a recommendation by a coroner as to not doing certain things or to treat people differently. What is the obligation of the equivalent authority in another state like Western Australia to respond to what happens in Victoria? Now, that's that's the stage at which we are negotiating. And so we want to make sure that this sticks so we don't end up with deaths like David Dungay's end up being replicated in other jurisdictions and nobody and nobody really cares. You know, make sure they do care. So how can people read the transcript of that inquest? Is there a website? Which probably the easiest way to look at that is actually if you were to, to look at the Justice Action website. So you, um, yes, yeah, there is be a link Action. there. Yes. Yes. And there's a lot of information there, all about the national database and, the, and, the, and how all that stuff's there. Right? There's a lot of obviously advances that have happened since the uh, last time we published changes on the website. But um, it gives the ideas about what's, um, what has happened. And it talks about the you know, the acceptance by the by the um, uh, by the federal government um, of the proposal, and so. But now we want to make sure that it means not just money going to Iceland. We want to make sure that that um, it has the effect of of um, of uh, authorities, say in Western Australia, having to respond right, to a recommendation in another jurisdiction, say in say Victoria. So that's exactly. that's the sort of stuff that will make a difference, and we're we're hunting in the hard behind that to make sure it does does make a difference. So just for clarity, basically what you're saying is that it's not just about David Dungay; it's, it, it'll be having a national database for all deaths in custody. So that so that that is preventable. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. And recommendations yeah. in one jurisdiction anywhere anywhere in Australia that those recommendations are properly distributed to the areas where they have similar responsibility and and the authority is obligated right to respond. That's the important thing. If they're obliged to respond, then it makes it, it means that um, then then if if they do something that they shouldn't have done. They can't say they don't know that they shouldn't have done it. They can then be civilly sued. They can also bring in a whole lot of other things and other penalties against authorities that don't behave properly. So that's, okay. it is a chance to make a change, and we're pushing as hard as we can. Brett, thank you so much for coming on the program, and that was a really, really important topic that we've discussed in regards to a lot of work ahead of us that we still need to do um, in okay. regards to... Um, you know, preventing Aboriginal deaths in custody. Absolutely. No, no, it's a very important issue and um, and so, you know, we're not going to move away from it. There are our brothers and sisters that are um, that are being killed and, um, and so we're not going to stand for it, that's for sure. Indeed. Brett, thanks so much. Take care of yourself. Thank you, Marissa. Yeah, thank thanks you, Marissa. Lovely to speak with you again. Lovely to you speak too, with you. You too, you too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Hi, we're the Marindas, and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. 
Hi gardeners, get ready to turn on and tune in to the Gardening Show's annual Radiothon. It all takes place on Sunday the 27th of June from 7.30 to 10am when you can help keep your favourite gardening show growing. Listen in and call the station on 03-9419-8377 for great deals on gardening products, nursery vouchers, magazine subscriptions, green focus book titles and much more. Or make a tax-deductible donation to support 3CR Community Radio. Dig deep for the 2021 3CR Gardening Show Radiothon, 7.30 to 10am on Sunday 27th of June. And you're back with the Doing Time Show, and it's approximately... 447, and you just heard an interview with Brett Collins from Justice Action speaking about a range of things in regards to um, building the movement to stop Aboriginal deaths in custody and also looking at other issues as well. And before that, you spoke, you heard an interview with Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition, and we spoke quite a lot about refugee refugees and asylum seekers and the Medivac refugees and how some some of them were on hunger strike. A most dreadful violation of human rights that's going on, particularly when there has been World Refugee Day just been and gone. So we're nearing the end of our show, but I just wanted to spend some time, a very short time, actually just looking at Radiothon um, for, for the Do and Time show. And, and it's not too late to donate. Please donate to all shows at 3CR. But specifically, I wanted to actually read out the donations in full. Um, we had had a pre-recorded show for Radiothon and it played live on air this Monday, the last Monday just gone, over the long weekend. And there are some other donations, and and I wanted to, as I said at the beginning, it's very pleasing. We wanted to thank everybody that has donated. Our target is $850, and we now only have $545. Sorry, um, $545 has been raised. So that's really great. So I'm going to start off reading out the donations in full because there's been some extra ones added. So first up, I wanted to thank the Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne, who donated $40. And then I wanted to thank also Meredith, who donated $20... Sorry, $15. So Meredith donated $15. And I believe she was um, a, a programmer at 3CR... Um, quite some time ago now. Thanks, Meredith. And also thanks to Juliet, who donated $20. And moving right along, thanks a lot to Tamar, who has donated $100. Thanks, Tamar. And thank you to Rosie, who has contributed $50. And then we've got Cheryl and Claus, who have donated $60. Thank you very much. And then we've got Robert, who's donated $100. And then we have Pierre, who has donated $100. Thank you, Pierre. 
And we've got Claire, who donated $30. And Claire has been um, a guest on our show many times and, and, and listener. Barbara, who has donated $30. Thanks a lot, Barb. And... And that's, oh, and we've also just had a new donation, actually. We've got Peter from the Doing Time show who has donated $25. So we have now raised um, $75. I haven't got my calculator here, but it's $545 plus 25 So, yeah, so it, that's that's pretty amazing, actually, given that we are in the middle of a pandemic and um, I wanted to, to once again thank everybody who has donated to the to the Doing Time show. And I know that we did ha- have our radio on show last week and that was a very special time because we were able to showcase all our work that we'd done over the last year. But I did want to actually add a postscript to last Monday because... I feel like I really forgot to mention something really important here about what we've covered over the year, and that is that we covered also the the disaster that happened in the towers um, in Flemington when the pandemic was at its worst and it was during lockdown. We we did cover do some interviews in regards to that, and it was it. Listeners may recall that in 2020, last year, during the, the the month of July, that there was a lockdown, and at around that time, there were um, lots of people from um, non-English speaking backgrounds, in particular, that were locked up in the towers there, and it was a really difficult time for them. And the police response was quite was quite huge, and there really wasn't very much of a health response at all and so we were able to to cover um quite a lot of that and essentially really the doing time show is about looking at the lived experience of um prisoners aboriginal people and all peoples really that are deprived of a voice and really that's why we're here and just as a as a as a quick aside here when i was interviewing ian rentel from the refugee action coalition you know, he was he was um, talking about the Medivac refugees, and they are certainly um, deprived of a voice. So, I wanted to take this opportunity really to to read out the donations in full once again, just to and, and to thank everybody doubly really for um, for donating to the to the Doing Time show and keeping the show on air for another year because, um, like, last Monday the show wasn't live, so we didn't get that opportunity to read out those donations. So, yeah, so thank you once again. It's approximately 4.54, and we've got about three minutes left of of our show. Um, Stay tuned to listen to the Climate Action Show after this. And we're going to be going out pretty soon with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella, by the Rumpy Band. and please feel free. I mean, we do have three minutes left. If you want to call nine four one nine eight three double seven to donate to the Doing Time Show, or all shows, any show at three CR, and you can donate online, um, or you can drop into the station and and pay 
um, and or you can send a check to um, to the to three CR as well. So it's approximately four fifty four, and um, I don't know if we've got time for another announcement. armed states are talking big and spending up with no intention to disarm. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons provides a pathway out of this mess, and it's up to us to get our government on board. Tune in to ICANN's Band School to learn more and be part of History in the Making. It's five online sessions from June to September. Check it out and enrol at icanw.org.au forward slash bandschool. That's icanw.org.au forward slash bandschool. The international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons is a 3CR supporter. And it's goodbye from Marissa and stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show and stay tuned for the song. Okay, bye. Stay strong.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.